You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Fantastic. Well, I hope that uh, you've had a good morning this morning, and I hope that you woke up this morning and went to your tree and found something that at least you were hoping to find there. And uh, if you hadn't found anything yet, then hopefully by the time uh, the sun goes down tonight, you'll be playing with something or adorning your body with something that you didn't have before today. And uh, actually, we had a quite a uh, we had quite a uh, sober start to the, to the morning, and uh, I think Larissa had to wake up her children because they just weren't that, weren't that interested, and uh, didn't wake up till about seven o'clock. So uh, I'm in for that. Let me tell you, that's really really good. <laughs> we, we've been looking at a, uh, a a train of thought over the whole month of December, really leading to today. So I'm so glad that you've come. Now, if you're here today for the first time and you haven't been tracking with us, that's okay uh, because this morning is wrapped up within itself, although it is part of a broader concept that if you wanted to, you could go onto our website, go online and catch up. We'll be looking at a verse really from John chapter 1 verse 14 where it says the word became flesh uh, and made us dwelling amongst us. And that's what this is all about. Jesus is the eternal word and he came God in a body and dwelt with man. And John goes on and says, and we saw his glory. That was, when he says we, that's not we as in you and me, that's him and his mates. They saw something that they could only define as the glory. He said, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, He brought with him many gifts. And I said a moment ago, hopefully you get a gift today that will be meaningful to you. If you didn't, then I hope this morning you'll get a gift that is meaningful for you. Because God came, Jesus came as a gift bearing gifts. And we've been looking at them through the course of the month. We saw he brought with him for us power. He brought with him for us peace. He brought with him but for us Joy and grace we looked at last Sunday. Today we're going to sum the whole thing up. A conversation that was had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Intriguing conversation, a very interesting guy, this Nicodemus, historically speaking. Um, He wasn't necessarily a friend of Jesus. He belonged to a sect called the Pharisees who were at loggerheads with Jesus. They finished up crucifying Jesus. So Nicodemus was not necessarily a follower, a a religious, you know, I should say he was very religious, but he wasn't necessarily a follower of Jesus. But he comes to Jesus one night because he couldn't come in the day because he couldn't be seen because of who he was. And he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He comes to Jesus in the night because he has to, in a sense, hide uh, this action from his peers. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, what we've observed is not normal. What we've observed is clearly shows me that you are some incredible teacher that's come from God. And note Jesus' response. I really want to drill down on this because this is stunning. Jesus' response is stunning in its clarity. It's profound in its brevity. Jesus doesn't respond and say, was you would perhaps, oh, as I would do, if someone come to me and said, oh, you know, you're, I've heard a lot of good about you. And you, 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 oh, thank you very much. I've heard good about you too, Nick. No, he doesn't say that. 
He doesn't thank Nick for his compliment. He doesn't respond with a compliment for Nicodemus, which is what most people kind of do in that moment. He says this. Jesus replies with this sharp, uh, clear statement. Verily, he says, uh, verily, uh, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, that's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? Born again. It's had a lot of bad press in recent years, I want to suggest. You know, are you one of those born again types, one of those born again Christians? And it it tends to carry with it a a kind of a, a personality type, you know. Uh, you, you you need a lot of moral structure in your life. You know, you're the kind of person who's maybe just not quite together, and so you've had this born again experience. Maybe you're in a, a little emotional, and so you've you've had this cathartic experience, and now you're born again. Well, that's really nice. People like you need it. You need the structure. You need that kind of you know comfort in your life. Nicodemus was neither a social outcast. Nicodemus was not a person who was down on his luck. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling uh, authority in the, in the town of, or the city of Jerusalem. He wasn't just a member of the Sanhedrin, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was wealthy, he had power, he had influence, he was well adjusted. He had it together. He was a Pharisee. He had more moral structure in his little finger than anybody in this room has in their entire body. I mean, they had something like 612 laws that they adhered to meticulously and ruthlessly. Uh, This guy was not the kind of flotsam and jetsam individual that was looking for some kind of moorings in his life. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he wasn't particularly noted for his humility. And yet he comes to Jesus, an outcast, an outsider, with a genuine question. We see a humility here which is bemusing. It's not in keeping, it's not common amongst the member of his sect as he inquires from Jesus... The, the, if you will, he, he, he wants to know, are you from God? And Jesus' quick response is not to say, hey, of course I'm from God, but you must be born again. I really like that because he, he's not saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a good guy, you've lived a good life because he had. He basically says to Nicodemus, all your efforts, all, all of the work that you've done, Matters not a straw. And what I like about that is because some of us in this room, and I have to put myself in the boat, that particular boat, have done stuff that they're probably not all that proud of, and done stuff they think, well, I can't measure up. And what Jesus has just said to this guy is, Nicodemus, you're the head of the Sanhedrin, you're a Pharisee, you've got it all together, but that's not good enough, you've got to be born again. 
That's, a, that's great news, folks, because that says it doesn't matter how good you are and by inverse reality how bad you are, you can't be good enough in your own strength, which also means it doesn't matter how bad you've been, you can still be born again. This is something that is for everybody from the highest of the social pecking order, which was Nicodemus, maybe to the person who you might consider, well, they need to be born again because they've got problems. <laughs> and all the way in between, it's a radical concept. The Nicodemus was struggling with it. <laughs> Nicodemus was coming just to find out, hey, you are from God, aren't you? And now you're telling me I need to be born again? What's this be born again? It's a radical Radical idea. And Nicodemus responds as an intelligent man probably would. He said, how can someone be born when they're old? That's hard. Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb to be born again. How many think that was a legitimate, reasonable response from an intelligent, reasonable man? This bloke's just said, I've got to be born again. He clearly understands the processes by which an individual is born. Uh, I, with that, we believe that he had a wife and probably had kids. He'd probably seen the process or, or certainly was aware of it. Uh, how do you do that again? What he didn't understand was the spiritual significance of it, which I want to touch on for just a, a few minutes. Because here's the question that everybody in this room should ask this morning. And it's this, am I born again? Because you can be religious and not born again. This guy was religious. This guy went to the temple or went to uh, the church every Sabbath. I mean, this guy would have even led the liturgy, right? He would have stood up and, and he would have read from the Holy Scriptures. He would have participated. And yet he wasn't born again. Jesus came to him and said, all your religiosity doesn't cut the mustard. You must be born again. Paul, this, Paul gives us some more insight into this. He, Paul talks about a seed. And he said, there's a supernatural seed that's deposited into you. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a literal second birth. He's not talking about, as Nicodemus is kind of trying to uh, understand, you know, you don't enter into your mother's womb a second time. Uh, what he's saying here is, Jesus is saying, no, there is a, a seed that comes into you and something is born on the inside of you. It's a new life. It's a second life. You know, this is, this is the greatest gift this morning. This is the greatest gift. God wants to plant a part of heaven on the inside of you. So there's something on the inside of you that isn't you. It's not of your DNA. It's not of your origin. It doesn't come from your family tree. It comes from heaven. And it's available for everybody. You can receive divine seed into your spirit. See, you're not just a physical entity. This physical body that we're walking around in for now will one day be placed in the grave forever. But that's not the end of you. You are a spirit. You are a soul. And there is a supernatural, there is a spiritual aspect to what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a physical rebirth. He's talking about a spiritual one. So, how do you know you're born again? Good question. You have to admit. Good question. How do you know you've been born again? Um, what is it that a living entity can do 
that an inanimate object cannot do. Because if you're born again, and if this is a living, vital, real thing, a life that's on the inside of me that is not from me, not from my parents, but from God, that God can take his supernatural seed, deposit it into my life. How do I know I have it? Because I prayed some prayer? I don't think so. Because I have observed some religious practice? Not so much. This guy prayed that a cow's come home and it was at an observed religious practice to infinitum. So it's not about religious practice. It's not even necessarily about prayer. But how do you know? What's the telltale sign? How can you be sure I've been born again? How do I know I've got that seed of heaven placed in my spirit as it was Mary indeed had a physical seed from heaven placed into her womb. Well, look, there's probably a number of things that, um, uh, that a, an organic living uh, object does that an inanimate object doesn't. Uh, a, a living, breathing thing. And it really doesn't matter if it's a pot plant because it's alive. It starts off as a seed. If it's a cat or a dog, an animal, or even a human being, what, what, what a living thing can do that an inanimate object cannot do is it, it cannot grow and it is not sensitive to its environment. Uh, you, you know if someone's been born again, not because they come to church, because people come to church and pe- pretend they've been born again, to be frank. Uh, they act like it. Because uh, they just want you know to fit in or whatever you know, and, and eventually it shows. Eventually it tends to show. Eventually, kind of time passes. You know, uh, the, the thing starts to become evident. But but I reckon you can tell um, because there is an increased sensitivity to the world around about them in a spiritual sense. Uh, their their spiritual eyes start to become clear. Their ears start to become tuned. Their taste starts to become mature, that there is a maturing about them that wasn't there before. And you can see it because you know, they might be reading something that Jesus said. And it's like they might have heard it, they might have been in church and heard it a hundred times, but not now. They're kind of like, whoa, if this is true, then why am I worried? Why am I finding it so difficult to go to sleep if this is true? I, 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 this, is, this is so revolutionary, so releasing. If this is true, then why am I working so hard? Why am I trying to be good enough if this is true? If this is true, why am I so upset about this, this earthly bit of nonsense? If this is true, you can tell if someone's been born again because they have this, they have this sensitivity to the world around about them and to God. They handle suffering, they handle opposition with such grace. Because they're growing in their capacity to comprehend. And Nicodemus, Jesus was saying, I'm not here to make you nice. You're already nice, Nicodemus. You already obey the 600-odd rules of, the, uh, of, of the, the Pharisaical sect. You're a good guy. I'm not here to make you rich, Nicodemus. You're already rich. You're rich and powerful. You're the chairman of the Sanhedrin. I'm not here to make you rich. I'm not here to make you nice. I'm here to make you new. That's what he said. You've seen me do all these kind of things, miracles and heal people. I'm not necessarily here to heal your body. I'm here 
to make you new. I'm here to allow, I'm here to give you the capacity, the wherewithal to be born again. I'm here to deposit something of heaven into your heart through faith. You know, we read a moment ago how he came with grace and truth, bringing gifts. So the verse before that is so, so interesting. It's a couple of chapters before that little interaction with Nicodemus where he says this. He came, um, John writing, speaking of Jesus, he came to that which was his own. He came to the Jews, but his own did not receive him. They crucified him, cast him out. Yet to all, he says, who, uh, who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, He gave the right to become children. This is the key. Children. You see, I have in my body the DNA of my father. He gave the right to become the children of God. Now, you you know, you might be here this morning. You might say, well, aren't we all children of God? And to some degree, that's true. To some degree, if, you know, if God is the origin of all mankind, then we are all children of God. But that's not what this is referring to here. This is referring to a right. It's a legal status. This is saying that I'm going to be adopted into a family. This is saying that I'm going to experience an intimacy and an inheritance. From with my father, I had an intimacy. I could bring my father whenever I wanted. My father was the managing director of the uh, of a uh, um, uh, a publicly listed company. Uh, uh, I could get in to see him whenever I wanted because he was my dad. If my father was the prime minister, uh, I could ring his mobile whenever I wanted to because you have intimacy with your loving father, uh, and 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 we have intimacy with our father in heaven. See, Jesus prayed, he said, God, love them as you've loved me. Be with them as you are with me. We have this promise of of intimacy. This new birth gives us an intimacy with God, which affords us this direct and immediate access and an understanding of his heart. Not just an intimacy, but also an inheritance Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he talks about this new body that we're going to get that will be glorified. And and, and as wonderful as creation is, and I trust that over these next few weeks that you get a chance to get out and see the beautiful blue ocean or or, or the wonderful green uh, forests and trees and, and waterfalls or whatever, you see how incredible southeast Queensland is. But did you know this is a mere shadow of what we're going to experience one day? What you see right now, folks, pales into insignificance. We'll be like a, uh, it'll, be, it'll be like you might view a place that's been bombed and you think how terrible that is. That's what we'll be like when you see the most glorious vista now compared to what you'll see then. When we receive it, when it becomes our inheritance. I, I, can't, I can't describe this, right? I'm sort of struggling a bit. But imagine this. Imagine every blade of grass to be so rich in its colour, so distinct in its form, and so deep in its glory, that every time you take a, 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 a step back and you take a view of wherever you are, you'll be so overwhelmed by what you're viewing you just want to give glory to God. That's the new heaven and earth that is our inheritance. See, we, we if you're a child of God, you'll be a king or a priest. You, you'll be a, a queen. You'll be a ruler in that environment. 
When we get this seed of God, this born-again thing, we get this intimacy with Him, but we also get an inheritance that is coming one day. And that inheritance, folks, will blow your mind. We get an identity. What's an identity? You all have an identity. You've probably been asked for it. If you've traveled, you've got to show your identity papers. If you get pulled up by you know, the law, you've got to show something that proves who you are. Your identity is your significance and your security in something. And um, for many people, it's their family. For others, it's their career. For many, it's, it's their achievements. The problem with all those things is that they are fragile. When you're born again, you get a divine identity that doesn't, fit, that doesn't end with death. You get a divine identity that can withstand any turmoil or any disaster. I, I came across a story. It was a compelling story. So I thought I'd share it with you. It's about a woman who grew up in a very conservative, strict church. And as she grew up through her teenage years, she attended a school, as of course all teenagers do, and she thought that she was pretty good because she was so morally strict. And she would see what her friends were involved with and they were destroying themselves, but she wasn't. You know, she had it together. She was a member of this church and, and she, you know, she'd put all her energies and efforts into this church thing and she was doing really well until one day circumstances got the better of her and she fell over and she had this moral collapse. Well, she didn't know what to do. She couldn't go back to the church because... She knew what she'd done. She knew what they stood for and she knew she'd stood with them in the past. But now, I've just dropped the ball. So her religion couldn't help her. So where does she find her identity? Where does she get her sense of worth, her value from? Well, she realised something. She realised that she was incredibly beautiful and attractive and that men really liked her. So she leaned into that. And she had men chasing after her and she kind of, you know, really enjoyed the, the attention, the affection. But as the life goes on, she goes from one toxic relationship to the next toxic relationship. And this isn't working for her and she's feeling really conflicted and really bad about herself. And so she does what a lot of people do today. She goes for counselling. And the counsellor says this to her. The counsellor says, Madam... You are more than just the second half of a man. You need to be true to yourself. You are incredibly uh, intelligent, have amazing capacities. Go out and become a person all by yourself. You don't need a man to be valuable. Amen. Yeah. And all the women said, yeah. Let's see how this works. So... uh, (laughs) Don't open your mouth too soon. Um, So she goes out, she gets a career, she does really, really well. You know, she makes lots of money and she doesn't need a man. (laughs) But she finds herself working really, really hard and and, uh, in her own words, her career knocks where every bit of soul destroying is her relationship knocks. And she worked herself into the bone. She got all tied up in this career thing that it was her, her identity, her, uh, the, the substance of her worth. 
and it was driving her and she was being driven and, and, and it, it, it wasn't working folks and, and so she talks to some friends this time doesn't go back and see the counsellor <laughs> she talks to some friends and she says you know my life's a mess I, you know I'm doing things I'm compromising here I'm just because I want to I got to win and, and they said this to her this is great advice but just don't open your mouth too soon they said <laughs> they said you know what your problem is your problem is it's all about you Everything you do is about yourself. What you need to do is you need to give back. What you need to do is that you need to go out and you need to you know, get involved in charity. You know, Particularly at Christmas time, go down and feed the homeless, right? Or go up to the park and give some sausages to the... You know, get involved. You know, give some homeless kid a place to live. Get involved with something other than yourself. Yeah, he, she thought, yeah, that's a good idea. That's what I need to do. And so she does. So she gets involved in a charity. And she puts her heart and her soul into it. And not too long into the charity kind of phase of her life, she started to realise, I don't really like these people. <laughs> They're annoying. <laughs> Man, if they'd stop being a victim and just take some responsibility, they wouldn't have to be here. What's wrong with them? <laughs> And she started to find herself getting all kinds of angst and anger towards the people who she was trying to help. She just wanted to bump their heads together and say, wake up to yourselves. You don't have to be here. You you can do something proper with your life. (laughs) And pretty soon she was finding that that really wasn't working for her too. She'd been through her religious phase. She'd been through her relationship phase. She'd been through her career phase. And then finally her charity phase. And then finally, finally, you can say him in now if you like, finally, someone shared with her the gospel. And she realised that she didn't need to find an identity in something that she had to do that she had an intimacy with the Lord of the universe who loved her unconditionally. And she thought to herself, why hadn't someone told me about this before? This is the greatest news that anyone has ever given to, to me. She got a new life. And I don't know who's here this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're in your charity phase. I'll go to church, you know. <laughs> I don't know, maybe in your relationship phase, maybe you're still trying to find a boy or a, you know what I'm saying, or a girl who's going to make you complete. I, I don't know, but, uh, or maybe you're in a career phase, maybe you're trying to make a success of yourself. Here's the good news. The good news is, it's not about what you have to do or what you can't do. Think of Nicodemus, he'd done it all. Yet Jesus said, you've got to be born again, Nick. And it doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you've worked. You must be born again. See, let, let, let's just take one more look at this verse and I'm going to explain how you do this and then, then you can, if you're free to go and eat some Christmas pudding. <laughs> he says, He came to those which were his own, they didn't receive him, and to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name. It's the same idea. You receive him, you believe in his name. To those he gives the right to be born again. To those he gives the right to be deemed to become children of God. <laughs> so you say, well, h- how does that work? You might be here this morning and say, well, I-, I need that. You know, I'm sick of trying to prove myself or I'm sick of trying to deal with this. 
How do I become this child of God? Now, some people will tell you this, and this will trip you up if you've heard this. What you need to do is you need to ask forgiveness for all of your sins and promise that you're going to live the rest of your days for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wrong. (laughs) If you've heard that, that doesn't work. You don't just have to ask forgiveness for all the things you've done wrong. See, Nicodemus, he hadn't done a lot wrong. Nicodemus was a Pharisee's Pharisee. The issue is not what you've done wrong. The issue is what you've done to determine your identity. That's the issue. The issue is not, well, well, I should have done better then and I was wrong then and I shouldn't have said that to them there and, oh, I really messed up over here. It doesn't matter. It's not about what you've done wrong. What it's about is how you've pursued your own identity, how you've tried to make something of yourself. You know what the hardest thing about this is? This is the hardest thing. The hardest thing about being born again. I don't know how many of you remember the first time you were born. Probably none. (laughs) But I can tell you this. Having been there on several occasions, you know, in the whole experience, the one who did all the work wasn't the child. It was the mother. And all the mothers said, yes. (laughs) You better be thankful today, you young people. (laughs) The mother does all the work. The baby just, you know, just gets dragged out. That's the hardest thing. See, the hardest thing about being born again is that you've got to come with nothing. But most people don't have nothing. Most people have something, and that's the problem. You want to bring something? You know, I got something. I want to bring this. You know, God, I'm not that bad. I want to bring this. And that's the problem. That's, That's the issue. The hardest thing about this the fact that it's so easy that's the hardest thing the hardest thing about this is that you've got to bring nothing to the table and you don't want to bring nothing to the table because you think you got something and that's the problem the problem is in our own you know sense of pride our own sense of achievement we think somehow I'm not so bad. Somehow, you know, I'm the head of the Sanhedrin. You know, somehow I'm a Pharisee. Somehow I'm pretty cool. And that's the problem. The problem is to be born again, to receive this, this seed, this, this, this DNA of heaven into your own spirit. It's not by anything that you can do. You can contribute nothing. A fellow by the name of Martin Luther, who is a giant in the context of uh, the history of the thing that I'm a part of, organised religion. Martin Luther said this. He said, what we have to do is nothing. (laughs) Nothing to do but nothing. Simply accept him as your wisdom and him as your righteousness and him as your sanctification and him as your redemption. This principle runs through everything. Everything to do with this whole spiritual world. You lay down your life, you, you, get, you take up your life. You lose your life, you find your life. I, I wonder if you were here this morning. And, 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 and 
have you been born again? That's a simple question, isn't it? Is there a growing in you of perception to the spiritual world around you? Or are you still on the treadmill of that girl, that woman, whose life I told you about, how she looked for identity in relationships and career and then even in charity and in religion on there? Have you been born again? This is the greatest gift. I mean, joy, power, peace, grace, all that stuff that we've been talking about, it comes down to this moment. Jesus came that you might have supernatural, divine, God-inspired life. And how do you receive it? You simply receive it by acknowledging him. You simply receive it by acknowledging him. Saying, Lord, I don't bring anything to the table, but I receive the gift that you have to give me on this Christmas day of 2018. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. The guys want to join me up on the platform. Father, we thank you for this, the greatest gift, the gift of new life. Lord, with all the things that we pursue in terms of success and of joy, and of security, and of comfort, and of love, and of peace. Lord, all those things are superseded. Lord, all those things become the result of this new life that you've come to give us. And Father, today we want to thank you for this new life. We thank you that you were born of human flesh that we might become born of a spiritual nature just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed we're, we're going to um, sing a song in a moment and then you're free to get about your day and catch up with loved ones and family and friends and, and, and my, my, our prayer to you is that you have a, uh, a blessed and a joyful day but I tell you what as much as we hope that for you all that fades compared to this moment you must be born again you see you must be born again it's not about coming to church it's not about doing the right thing Nicodemus had all that stuff in spades he had so much to bring to the table but it wasn't worth it wasn't worth a hill of beans Because this is supernatural, this is divine, this is spiritual. God, right here, wants to do what, in a sense, happened 2,000 years ago when He deposited seed into Mary. He deposited a physical seed. This morning, He wants to deposit a spiritual seed into you, a life into you that starts to grow and mature. He wants to do that for you. Would, would you receive it? Just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're just in this moment of reflection and this moment of, uh, may I even say, response. If you're in this room this morning and you want to receive it, then now's your opportunity. This is the reason that we're here right now. If that's you, then while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But God is all over the house. God is all over the place right now. God's hand is upon you. And God wants to deposit a seed of heaven into your heart. 
that will bring forth fruit, that will grow, grow and start a new life that will take over the old life. A life where there is peace. It's a life of joy. It's it's an eternal life. If you want to receive that this morning, then my heads are bound and eyes are glad that you. What I want you to do is just take the courage of your convictions right now and take your right hand and give me a wave. If that's you, just give me a wave. God bless you. Thank you. Just give me a wave. Thank you. God bless you. Someone else, just give me a wave and say, that's me. God bless you. Someone else, good on you. Thank you. Someone else want to give me a wave? Good. Thank you. Someone else want to give me a wave? That'd be great. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, Lord, you see hearts that have responded, hands that have responded. And Father, this morning, I pray that as that hand signified that open heart, that your spirit would respond into that vacuum right now in Jesus' name. That you'd take your divine seed, you'd deposit that into that human heart right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. We thank you, Lord, for that spiritual uh, dimension that's happening in this place right now. Many can't see it, Lord. Some can't discern it. But, Lord, you're doing right now a miracle. There is a miracle of new birth as you deposit that seed. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 For listening to this podcast.